0: Welcome to the Singapore Management University podcast series, where we feature the latest insights and perspectives from our faculty. The Public Cleanliness Satisfaction Survey was led by Professor Pauline Tay-Strawn, Dean of Students and Professor of Sociology at the Singapore Management University, to measure and track the level of public satisfaction with the state of public cleanliness in Singapore. In addition to the development of a Public Cleanliness Satisfaction Index, the survey examines the public's satisfaction with public cleaning services, public opinions regarding the state of public cleanliness, as well as social behaviours related to public cleanliness. The survey involved 2,000 Singaporeans and permanent residents and was completed in March 2017. In this podcast, Professor Strawn shares her research findings and discusses what more can be done to keep our environment clean and how all these affect our general well-being. This is an inaugural study on public cleanliness. Why do you think it is important to have one? Keeping
1: Singapore clean is everybody's responsibility. It's not just the government's responsibility, and we can't farm it off to an army of cleaners. So having the study raises our consciousness to the collective effort that needs to be put in if we want to enjoy a clean Singapore. So when we roll out the study, we are inviting Singaporeans from all over to step forward and serve as our consultants to share their ideas with us, to share their observations with us, to help us identify what is done well, and where the hotspots are, and then, as a collective consciousness, we decide on what is what are the best ways forward to continue to keep Singapore on the map as a clean and green city.
0: What were the general findings of the survey? What were some of the hotspots and areas that topped the list in terms of cleanliness?
1: I think the survey actually surfaced many... It gave us a good report card. Of course, the media has highlighted only the hot spots, which is kind of disappointing because as a sociologist, when we want to affirm and bring the country together, you sort of have to give out the good news as well as the bad news. And the good news is Singapore is clean. Though we complain a lot, by and large, it was a consensus that Singapore is a clean place to live in. We created an index, right, which is a summary of all the indicators across the different aspects of physical public space. And the index suggests that overall, we are doing good. And that I think, congels with our everyday observations. Most of the time, when we step out to a public street in Singapore, you don't think, oh, yuck, so dirty, right? Most of the time, we we, 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 we are faced with very clean public spaces. And that's why perhaps our standards have gone up, right? <laughs> so the survey has highlighted that, first of all, we've done a good job. So therefore, we should remember that that we can keep Singapore clean. There are hotspots, and the hotspots tend to be in hawker centres and, and non-air-conditioned food areas and wet markets. Again, mixed intuitive sense because those are where masses congregate and it's harder to keep clean. The survey also highlighted what we have observed as pro-social behaviour that means people who clean up after themselves, what we have observed as enabling behaviours when we actually step forward and encourage each other to do good and do the right thing. So with these, we are able to then come up with policies and plans which can bring all of us together on the same platform because it is only when we have all of us Attacking this or dealing with this, managing this ish, public health issue, that we will be able to, you know, come up with sustainable solutions.
0: What is the public cleanliness satisfaction index, and how did you come up with this index? The index is a summary or an average of the satisfaction
1: that was reported at different different public areas that were highlighted in the survey. So we envision an ordinary Singaporean waking up on an ordinary day and the journey he or she would take as he or she goes about their daily activities. So this included the experiences in the town council areas, footpaths on public transportation, food courts, parks, leisure, you know, activities, and then back home again. So, We asked respondents, each of the spots that they were at, when was the last time they visited and what was their observations of of cleanliness. So we only took into consideration those who actually visited the spots because we didn't want this to be a survey on ideals or expectations. We wanted this to be a survey of, of actual observations, right, because... We need to know what the truth is, and then from there, you know, to f- to f- to to advise policy.
0: Why is it important to keep our environment clean? We live in a very small space
1: in Singapore, right? And it's a very densely populated space. So this means that we do generate, no matter how conscious we are, of you know, not leaving you know, too uh, too too too. T- too many carbon footprints, right? We will generate waste. It's inevitable. So it's very important for us then to realise how we can play a part in keeping our environment clean and how we should not rely on cleaners, for example, because that will not be sustainable in the long run. So this is an exercise to help us, you know, raise to consciousness simple questions like what constitutes cleanliness and what constitutes litter. We don't think of those as, you know, topics that merit discussion, but they do. From NEA's perspective, anything that is not wanted and not binned is litter because somebody has to dispose of it for you. But from an ordinary Singaporean's perspective, sometimes things happen. You go to Starbucks or you go to, you know, a fast food place, you have a stack of napkins, the wind comes and blows. It's an act of nature. Now, did you litter from NEA's perspective? Yes, because now, you know, the space around you is 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 full of you know is 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 cluttered with napkins. But from the individual's perspective, we need we may not realize that that constitutes littering. Sometimes we go to a bin, but the bin is full. So you place your unwanted items next to the bin. In your mind, in my mind, it may not be littering because I consciously place it next to the bin, but. Next to the bin is a social construct. It could be immediately one cm from the bin. It could be one meter away from the bin. Hey, it could be five meters away from the bin because the bin is still in sight. So, you know, sometimes we do things for granted. We, we, We take things for granted because these are such common constructs that we assume that they are objective definitions, but they are not. So we need to revisit them every now and then so that we share the same expectations, right? So whether a place is clean or not, it depends on your reference point. So this survey surfaces those reference points, right? Places that are considered clean would be the MRT stations. They do very well in the survey. Generally, most of our respondents gave it, you know, thumbs up, very clean. So you can now imagine when you're talking to a Singaporean, their reference of clean and dirty would be MRT stations where there's hardly any litter, right? And floors are clean, no sticky messes around, no gum, nothing, right? And then they compare it to the messiness of a wet market. You know, there's water on the floor, you know, where you know there is food waste everywhere, you know? So, so that's the reference point. So well, somebody else who comes from elsewhere, notion of clean and dirty could well be quite different. So it's important for us then, on, you know, in, in Singapore, to have our own reference point so that we know what we're talking about. It's not useful for us to complain, you know, just generally, that, oh, Singapore is more dirty now than ever before, and, oh, you know, littering is such a serious issue. When we don't know at the extent of the situation, what exactly do we mean when we say, you know, that it is much cleaner now or much dirtier now? Because
0: if it is not a useful reference point, then it's very hard for us to take action. How would keeping our environment clean affect our general well-being and quality of life?
1: Well, first of all, aesthetically it makes us feel good when you step into your lift going home that, you know, it's clean and you don't have to hold your breath, right? And, you know, you don't dread going into, you know, a public space. And, of course, you know, from a public health health perspective, it's important that, you know, our environment remains clean, especially when, you know, in, in, in an era when we're most concerned about infectious diseases and the spread of infections. So, I think... In general, having clean perspective of living in a clean space, for example, in your neighborhood, will inspire us to to continue to keep it clean, right? A simple example, if you go to a hawker center and it's very clean, no leftover foods on tables, tabletops are cleaned, you sit down, you have your food, you will be inspired, to leave the table the way you found it. So people would take care to return trays, to wipe off mess and so forth. But if you go to a hawker centre and you had to move piles of unwanted food to a corner so that you can eat your food in that little space that you've created for yourself, chances are when you're done, you would just walk off in a huff because you were so... Upset to start off with that you had to eat off a a dirty table, right? So keeping our public space clean sets the standard for expected behaviour.
0: What do you think can be done to shift or inculcate good social behaviour? Tough one because we
1: oscillate between wanting to intervene and then wanting to ensure that you don't stick your nose in other people's business. As a sociologist, you know, I would always argue that, you know, we should step up, right, and invoke the power of informal social support and empower each other to do better. But there is a fine line between empowering and oppressing. So, for example, personally, I think that having neighbours rat on each other, stomping each other because, you know, they have observed poor behaviour... It's not going to help us grow, you know. This very important construct of togetherness. How can you work together if you are ratting on each other? You no, know, it, it doesn't. Doesn't. Doesn't make make. You know, doesn't congeal very well. So I think what Singaporeans in the next phase of of our growth, right? In the first fifty years, we've spent. Um, and we've done very well putting infrastructure in, in place keeping you know putting cleaning up you know in various public spaces leveling up on you know uh, levels of hygiene and and so on in the next 50 years of our growth we will need to look, work on the intrinsic the soft skills where we grow a more gracious society so part of that includes learning how to step up in a very collegial manner to encourage each other to do better. Right? So and we know from the survey that this is not easy. Uh, the survey tells us that there are many opportunities for intervention because respondents, you know, reported that they witnessed instances of where people litter or fail to clean up after themselves. But the survey also says that <laughs> we hesitate because the opportunities, are, 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 they go wasted, right? Because respondents don't know how to intervene. They don't know how to, they find it difficult, you know, to tell family members or their friends or even worse, a stranger, all right, to return their tray, for example. So we just know, I think we need to, to learn how to do this so that we don't feel awkward and so that the ones who are receiving that little nudge do not feel publicly shamed because that will not grow, you know, this this sense of, you know, uh, civic consciousness and where we have the whole community working together, enabling each other. Can we get there? Certainly. We have already done it in so many other, through so many other instances. Take the queue culture, for example. When I was growing up in the 1970s, there was no construct of a queue, right? So when you go to buy food from, from the markets or the hawker store, it's like you know jostling and pushing and everybody trying to shout as loud as they can to get the attention of the vendor. Fast-forward it, you know, to modern-day Singapore. Everywhere we go, at food courts, markets, and so forth, queues form naturally, right? We don't even think twice about it. Once you go, you know, to your favourite food centre, first thing you do is look for where the queue starts. Right. And you join the queue. And when people step out of line and they, you know, miss the queue, we don't think twice. You know, we don't feel bad about just tapping them on the shoulder and say, excuse me, there's a queue here. And then, you, you know, if you're the one who has been alert, so you just say, oh, sorry, I didn't see it. Right. And we, it's not a big deal. OK, it's taken us some time. When it first started, (laughs) there were, you know, reminders pasted everywhere and there were people who, you know, officers who had to stand in line to to guide us and then the parameters were were lined, were were fenced off so that you can see physically where the queue starts, you know, and pictures were drawn on the floor so that you know what to do. Another more recent example, uh, MRT lines, right? Not too long ago, we pushed in and pushed out. And then we were told, that's not the way to get on and off trains. You have to let people off first, and then you get in. So what MRSMRT did was draw lines. See, So most of the time, human behavior is such, most of us would want to do the right thing. It's just that we don't know what the right thing is and what the norms are. But when the norms are clearly spelled out, most of us would abide by the norms, especially if they are reasonable. And then most of us, when we do that, will set the norms and set the standards and then the rest will follow. And when you are in the most of us, then every now and then you have a deviant comes along, you know, that comes along. Most of us will not feel so vulnerable we, you know, when we have to reach out and say, excuse me, can you please return your tray to that return center so that I can use this table? And then we learn to converse this through very normal conversations and exchanges and that doesn't become so awkward. Will we get there? Yes. If we do it, you know, if we see that we can take action one space at a time. So this survey has highlighted that the hotspot for this year is hawker centres, right? Why? One of the pet, one of the most often cited complaint was that people do not clean up after themselves. And as a result, there's food waste on tabletops and it's not very hygienic. So then when you go down to the ground and you find out what's the problem, well, all kinds of excuses like, I don't know whether I'm supposed to clean up or, you know, if am I robbing somebody of a job because there are cleaners in place? Secondly, I don't know where to clean up. Thirdly, yuck, the clean-up spot is so dirty. You know, I don't think it's helpful to pile more rubbish up on piles of rubbish, right? So, and those are, those are fair comments. So if we want to clean up a hawker centre, immediately you know that you need to do three things. The first is send the message very clearly. There is no question here. In this Hawker Centre, please return your trays. That is the expected norm, and it has to be conveyed clearly. Second, have a clean and clearly marked up return station so that the ones who want to do the right thing can do it easily. And of course, the return stations will have to be manned so that you don't end up piling plates upon plates upon plates, right? And you can see that this has happened already quite well in many of our air-conditioned food courts. Hmm? So we just need to normalise this because for most of us now when we eat out, that question, do I have to return the tray here or not, is a real concern because the norms are not clear. So when norms are not clear, that's when behavior change is very difficult to achieve because one moment you do good by not returning, the next moment you're expected to return. It's very confusing. So when we want to change norms, first we have to set the norms. So for this year, this is the task that we need to achieve. And then we hope that we'll be able to do this survey on an annual basis. So maybe I'm hopeful that, you know, by next, the next round or maybe the next two rounds, if we have the chance to run the survey again, hawker centres will no longer be the hotspot. There will be another, you know, another hotspot. And then together, we will come to the table and agree on a solution. So a public survey, a public study like this is important because we are inviting Singaporeans to come together to agree on what we want to do. To keep Singapore clean for the next year, because we can only do this if all hands, you know, are, if every one of us, you know, have, believe that we have a role to play.
0: Thank you, Professor.
1: Thank you very much for having me, and I look forward to hearing from our colleagues at SMU. If you have any ideas on how to keep Singapore clean come by my office, drop me an email, have a conversation with me because we are all, I'm still learning. Thank you very much.